You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Brian McCubbin. Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome. David Hall. Hello. Greg Hectus. What's up, guys? Hey, and Kyle Pendigraf. Welcome back. First episode of 2023. It is. And on today's show, we'll take a look at the newly released iRacing NASCAR Coke Series schedule. There's a new player in the sim racing market, and maybe drawing talent from other platforms. We'll check out a change in direction poll and see what's the best wheel and base combo for under $500. And you can follow along with this in real time on your PC or mobile device by going to iRacersLounge.com and selecting show notes. So hope to see you there. It's topic time, and we're going to start off with talking about ESL, who's making a move into sim racing. There's an upcoming sim racing platform called Rensports that is partners, partnering with ESL, and it looks to shake up the racing esports driver market with several top talents thought to have signed with squads new to the virtual motorsports scene. Traxion GG understands that several of the high-profile drivers have signed with the ESL affiliated teams, affiliated teams, excuse me, and either effective at at the start of this year or after the upcoming 24-hour of Le Mans virtual event. What do you think, Mike? Well, I was kind of surprised. I mean, I haven't really heard about this and much. I mean, I think I've heard of it. Um, and and in the article, they mentioned that last May they did have an initial meeting of the minds. Um, so maybe that's where we heard about it, but um this software isn't even released and uh and it's kind of the egg before the chicken kind of situation for me i mean you mean like signing uh exclusivity for a game that's not released for a year exactly or you know like getting some top you know and, and these guys spent some money i don't know how much but you would have to guess they have to get some of the sim racing superstars involved with Rensport and ESL from the very beginning. And so as reported, there were several, you know, high, high profile uh, drivers that have already announced uh, they're leaving their current teams. Um, Brian, did you see who some of those, I think it was Max yeah. Benicky, the from team Redline. Uh, he's yeah, the 11,000 I rating guy. Yeah, Max Benicky was one of them, um, and uh, some guys who bailed out of Coanda. Um, uh, Patrick Holzman so, also departed. Yeah, that Patrick team. Holzman. Um, yeah, some others. Uh, a guy who finished second last year in the um, in the Rocket, the Jet Car series, the Tommy Utsgard 
Um, and he was like one of the standouts in that series. So he's, he was one of the top guys in that open wheel um, check car series that they had. Yeah, it says here, Bryn Sport is set to have a closed beta soon before a final release toward the end of 2023. Throughout the year, there are plans to run eSport events with ESL. So I'm guessing this is probably a road-centric um, uh, simulator. It's not, not oval stuff. Um, they, they've, they've seemed to be tapping into the road, road course talent out there. Um, so I don't think any of the, any guys who were like a Coke driver or anything like that are looking to, to bail um, and, and try, this, try this sim out. So they seem to be following the model of the the virtual Lamar and the motorsport company and what they've done over there. And we were talking about that a little bit before the show, um, how they announced their um, roster basically for the virtual Lamar. And it's like 180 people or something, but you have to be invited. It's not like it's open to the public. It's not like if you're on the service, you can participate. Uh, you have to, you know, be be one of the chosen. <laughs> it seems seems kind of odd that. I, I mean, I guess I guess it's the money that they're offering is uh, luring these drivers without, you know, without really a um, a sim to work with. I mean, I'm sure they probably get early early access to it or or work with some of the betas, but. Um, you know, they're going out a little bit on a limb by 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 um, going over to this system without having anything concrete really uh, in the market. Right. Like it's kind of early. Like, what is he going to race between now and then? <laughs> you know, well, that might uh, beg the next question. Will Sim Racing become the next major esport player? We have a tweet from Luke Crane at. Acrovision or actual vision and he proclaims that this will be the year that sim race becomes bigger it becomes a bigger part of the esport landscape tell us a little bit about it kyle uh yeah so uh luke crane uh posted on twitter uh, this will be the year that the sim racing becomes a major player in esports by that i mean like a phase optic luminati and complexity to name a few will be entering teams this is my prediction for 2023 with this space like what so so kyle you're kind of in the streaming stuff and and you've been in that and and what is he really talking about when he mentioned those strange names uh honestly phase, I really... optic complexity luminosity now i know what phase is and i'll tell you why i know about that my wife who works at wells fargo one of her co-workers it's is phase's mom apparently so she knows him that way um, so really, I mean, when it comes to the streaming aspect of it, um, I mean, sim racing really was kind of a low key kind of thing, uh, for streaming when streaming first became a thing. Now it's starting to kind of pick up. Uh, and I think it really started back with the pro invitational back in COVID first happened. And now it's kind of gained some steam over the last few years. And I think it's now I keep kind of basically putting here that it's, it's eventually going to make its way into the big platforms of esports, like you know, you get your Call of Duty esport uh, tournaments and whatnot. I think iRacing or sim racing in general will reach that level here soon, along with Luke here. I think my take on this is Phase and and these guys they've really built up a following, like you said, in other esports. Um, 
and they have depth because you know people are joining their ranks and and you know them branching out into sim racing could be just adding to that depth hey we have enough people we have some guys here that are with us but they race and so we're gonna put them into sim racing and enter the scene you know but you know for the one guy who's really good at call of duty you know i, I don't think it translates that he just gets into the sim race and and performs yeah, matter of fact, didn't we had a story a while ago where like a prominent um, esports person got into uh, sim racing and they were just terrible. I don't know if they were. I'm not. I don't mean that they were slow, but they had no racecraft at all. It was really ugly to watch. I think you have to get racers to race e- racing esports, not just gamers. You ha- it has to be something where it's always been an element of your interest from from the get go. Because, uh, because, yeah, you talk about racecraft and and that the competitiveness that comes with that, and plus with racing, other than you know if you're you're doing driver swaps and things like that, for the most part, online it ends up being a somewhat individual sport. Well, I mean, back to what we were talking about with motorsports and their virtual Le Mans, they did just that. They have actual uh, F1 racers. They have the um, F1 champ the F2 and the F3 champ, apparently, uh, including Max Verstappen and, and others uh, participating. And they, you know, they're on the roster. And so they're doing it, you know, when it, when we were doing, you know, with iRacing, it was more of a hodgepodge, you know, people just organically join and, and you hear, oh yeah, Max is in the race and all these other people. When we run the 24 hours of Daytona later, uh, you know, we're going to see, you know, celebrities in there, celebrity drivers, as we, as you would call them. Well, it'll be interesting to see. We could probably put a wrap on that. And instead, next, let's talk, Brian, about Tyler's new rap. Yeah, this is uh, comes from a tweet from Tyler Hudson, who is um, who is a staff member at iRacing. But he's also a fairly accomplished um, dirt late model ride driver. And he unveiled his new um, iRacing-themed um wrap that he put on his new body for his late model so uh so yeah tyler i remember uh we had a couple of stories about tyler getting some wins this past summer so uh, he's looking to go back out for another good season and he's got the car looking really nice with the iRacing logo stuff on it um i really like the side panels on there with the the iRacing logo uh that's uh integrated with integrated with the uh the numbers and the colors it's really nice white front red back Got some black on there too, uh, so the eye racing really stands out on the quarter panel, and some blue uh, in front of the fr- the front tire, you know, with the eye racing guy with his hands in the air, of course, and yeah, it looks great. You notice that number is really far back too. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the zero one that's traditionally his number too. Was it ever disclosed who the eye uh, racing guy uh, modeled from, or was that? Wasn't that like some kind of state secret? No, wait, I, I remember this. Um, I think it, it was actually based on Dave. If I remember right, it was Dave Kamer, the founder of iRacing. Uh, he apparently did some real racing at Lime Rock in like some Mazdas or something. And it's based off of that, I think. Well, that would make sense for him to be on it. Well, he's basically built the thing. Sure, that's what I have from my memory. I've been doing this a long time, these, this show. All right, I'm definitely going to chime in on this next one. We've got a poll in the forums presented by Marley Harrison, and 
uh, we've come, we've hit this topic before, and I guess we're going to dig into it again. Should we have a series specific I rating? And he's basically kind of thinking his his rationale is that he's not as good in a Skip Barber as he is in a GT three or vice versa, and so he thinks that there should be a an individual I racing for every series. If you look at the poll, it's kind of close between between uh, series and between the current system. Uh, whereas per car and another option are really low. So it's, it's like 43% say I like the current system and 39% say we should have series-specific I ratings. Oh, before I think when we talked about it was per car, um, which I think makes sense. You know, I don't know about doing it by per series. Yeah, that's also a little bit awkward if you're doing it per in a multi-class race because, uh, I, I, you know, some people are – I mean, different scores, different cars, different series, different classes. You're going to have different strengths. I just don't think it would actually really make that much difference on who you're going to end up racing in the long run. If, so, and if you really care about your I rating getting high, you basically need to create a ghost account and only race the races you're good at on the one account, and then use another account for all your fun stuff. Let's do it for example. If if it was by car. And I'm a GT3 driver, and I build up my A license and my I rating on the Ferrari, and then I switch to a BMW. I'm a rookie in the BMW, even though I have a nice I rating and a license in the other car. So I don't think it makes sense to do it that way. Or imagine anytime they they actually create a new series, and you're a 10,000 I rating guy, right? Um, right now you're a rookie. Yeah, it would it would create a lot of nasty races because I mean, the races already have some sloppiness because no, we're not pros on there. But I I always find the A open races during the season that go the worst are the ones where you have a five thousand I rating guy in the same field as a twelve hundred I rating guy because they're just not used to being around each other. And the style of racing in a field of 4,000 guys is just not the same as the style of iRacing in a field of 1,500 guys. So generally I find when there's a big wide spread, you you get a lot sloppier racing. So if you do this where everybody's going to start rookie anytime they switch cars, it's going to create a lot of sloppy, just really unfun, unbalanced racing. Now under the current system, your I rating could be by car, depending on how you race. Like the way I usually race is throughout the year, I'm a car only on ovals and I'm usually NIS only. And so my oval I rating is really a true representation of my I rating in that car because that's the only car I'm in. And that's why I said, if you really want to push your I rating up, you have to just focus on the series that you you're good at for that, for that discipline and leave the others be or use a different account. Now, what is the argument he's making here to do it by series? I mean, I, I don't see any upside to that at all. Well, it could be based on almost more like class, like instead of being the Toyota versus the Chevy versus the Ford, that whole, that whole class A car or GTC class car or GTE class car, I think it's almost more what he's aiming for. So I could be in the GT3 Ferrari and easily go to the BMW in the same series. The only way it, to me it makes any any sense at all is 
if you um, separate maybe the open wheel from the um, GT stuff in the road. Um, even that is a little, a little sketchy to make that argument, but um, that's the only place where I can see that there's more of a bigger difference from one <clears throat> from one two different types of cars in the same in the same license um, road license. What I think an, an idea would be was if they gave your I rating, you know, per license. So let's say you are an A license regardless and you want to step down and do a, a C license race, you should have a C license I rating. So that way if there's a bunch of high C guys in there, then they're all in the same race for sure. You're not mixing the A's and C's all together. That sounds complicated. It, yeah, it, it logistically it, it is a little complicated if you think about it, but I think it would probably solve a lot of issues. Well, I, you, I voted on the poll, well, uh, David. I was going to say I voted uh, to keep it how it is, just because I think it's worked. I mean, we've been doing this for over ten years, and and they haven't really changed it. And when we added dirt, I mean, it was a it was a natural progression of the licensing and i rating system uh hey we'll have dirt road we'll have dirt oval it's perfect and if the another you know racing discipline you know lands on our plate a brand new one then we have a way of of you know doing it and if you look at the nis series it's a class c series right however it's almost it, i don't think i've seen in an nis race in in five years a class C driver or a class B driver in my field. Okay. So all of your guys that can really run the high end series are going to, are going to be an A license and, and have a high I rating because they, they have both speed and racecraft. Yeah. I mean, license is fluid. I mean, you can go from ABC and back up, up and down pretty easily. Well, also when you get most of the A races are longer. So you just have to have a couple of clean A races and you, and you get a ton of safety rating back. All right, next up, Brian, we have something about session admin chat commands. Yeah, let me uh, check this out. But basically, it's uh, we found this in the iRacing um, support page where it shows you um, how to be an admin um, for chat commands. So uh, the session, session admin commands must be entered in the iRacing uh, simulator text chat window while the sim is loading. So um, that's a that's an interesting tip to get this thing to work. But um, they can be used uh, in short form along the, the bold letters uh, indicate the short form of the command. So I don't know. I it's, I don't really do any hosting stuff, so I'm not really doesn't really apply to me. Uh, but I'm um, sorry to interrupt. If it's, sorry to interrupt. Did you say while the sim is loading or loaded? Well, it says while the sim is loaded. Okay. Loaded. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Now you just but basically um, type in this uh, word, right? Yeah, and then, and then there's a, it has a whole list of commands. Uh, I, I recommend if, if something you're interested in looking at, go into a, come to our, our website and follow the link, and it'll show you all the general commands, and uh, it'll it'll uh, show you what what all they do. Yeah, the most common one for people who run hosted races or leagues is is exclamation point clear all, which kind of just dumps all the black flags and DQs and EOLs for the whole field. Yeah, EOL, wave by, yellow flag, you know those kind of things. And you can do them. Now, by, you, you can do them by right clicking on their name on a, on a lot of them too. Some of these don't work by right clicking, but some but some of them do, especially as they yeah, drive specific. And uh, 
these keywords that we mentioned, they all start with an exclamation point. So what you do is if you're in the car driving as an admin, you hit the letter T, which makes it where you can type, and then you put exclamation point, clear all. And then that would clear all the black flags, enter. And uh, Or if you're a smart admin, you tie all these things to macros on buttons, and then you label all the buttons, and then you have one for every you know command. Pretty yeah, cool. but this this is a this is a really good resource to 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 find out how to do all this stuff. If is uh, by following our link here. And the neat one to try, even if you're not an admin, is the exclamation exclamation point help H E L P enter. It'll actually show you a list of these commands we're talking about. Go ahead and check that link out on our. Uh website if you want to get there and try to use these commands it's very handy i know we've covered this before but it's probably been a year or two uh next up we do have mike something to do with junior and he's talking about chat stutter or something along the lines of a problem with replay playback yeah this is the second time i think we've heard from dale jr iRacing staff member dale jr posted a topic in the forums asking if there's been any resolution to the stuttering many are finding in the replay pay, uh, playback. And uh, I don't think he found any answers that I saw. I have one hypothesis. I guess I, I should reply. But um, your graphic settings for replay are not the same as your graphic settings for live. It's a whole different, it's a whole different page. So he may just have his replay settings turned up too high. So he did have another staff member, Michael Hinkle, did reply that they did add it to the bug tracker. But uh, yeah, that's saying something. If the director of iRacing is having computer problems or whatever. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point, Dave. Some, sometimes I, I will uh, crank up the the uh, settings on the replays because I figured, you know, I'm just watching it. I don't worry about the frame rates quite as much as if I'm driving. And uh, it, it will I will get a little bit more stuttering and stuff like that on the replay than I will actually when I'm driving. And also the replay settings are active. At least some of them are active. If you're in a race and you, when you're out of the car, when you switch over to basically out of the car where you can watch the replay, it switches to the replay quality instead of the race quality. And I kind of discovered this because I once was like, I'll just turn everything all the way up on replay. And, and when I was sitting in, the garage everything was just horrifically um the, the 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 client would almost crash but then if i jumped in the car it would stabilize next up we have a guy that is uh name is uh david beetle or is it betty or i there's got to be beady right beady i'd say Beattie. yeah and the current he thinks the current state of the nsim is a complete and utter joke and i think he's just complaining about their uh not being another enough damage in some situations what do you think kyle uh so i don't know maybe i don't know the cars all as well as i thought i did but there's sometimes that an impact will happen and it's like there should have been some some damage but there wasn't uh i'll take for instance i was in a race with steve the other night and uh i got nailed in the uh right front nailed hard and the car drove fine aerodynamically it was fine uh did have a little bit of damage on the clock but it was like it would should have been totaled or a tow link 
it, it didn't happen. So something is not right there. And I wanted to, I even made sure I got hit where I thought I did to make sure I didn't get hit in the door. And I got hit right on the right front tire, but yet the car was fine. So yeah, something I think they need to take a look at and maybe uh, see if there's some tweaks that need to be made for that damage model for sure. Yeah, apparently this That's guy was thing. running an Indy car or a, a a blank 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 car, I, and uh, he was uh, he was he was trucking along at 220 miles an hour and had a really hard crash and got almost pretty much no damage. Um, and I used to, that used to happen to me like at Daytona uh, a few years ago, where um, if you were in a bad enough crash, you just didn't get any damage for whatever reason. The damage model just like uh, zoned out for for whatever reason. You know, like a, a typical crash, where you'd get you get banged up really good. But if you got into a da- uh, a thing where you really was go- really hit somebody hard for some reason, it just didn't didn't register anything. But he says here that that he lost two of his wheels, basically that the the wheels hubs came disconnected. That means you're done. That means you're towing. Which means you're all right now, and they do have it where you can basically get the damage fixed. But you're, especially in road races, you're not getting those that time back. So I, you know, whether it should have graphically looked better and looks more like he got hurt. If your wheels are off the car, you're basically done anyway. So I don't I don't see what the big deal is. I think it's fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, it could always be better, but I mean. If if he's towing, then you're pretty much you're suffering the same consequences, whether it looks like it or not. All right, Mike, I'm throwing this next one to you because Chicago is your favorite city. So tell us a little bit about Sim Racing Chicago. Yeah, I found this um, Sim Racing Chicago. It's a professional driving simulator studio that features ten fully built simulators. These simulators are designed to showcase the best of what Sim Racing has to offer. Our studio is available for any events that you may want to be organizing. And we got a promotional video, and it looks pretty nice. I mean, it's kind of a dark, you know, bar kind of setting. Uh, There's couches set up and large TVs up above the rig where you can see timing and scoring and different things. It looks like they're set up for, like, tournaments and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. We've seen seen these type of um, things pop up at others. Um, I don't know how many of them have been super successful, but um, you know, if you're if you're in a place like Chicago with a high density population density, um, maybe something like this would work. They're going to get a lot of attention this this year when when uh, NASCAR comes here for their road course. So um, who knows? Maybe maybe that would be a good tie-in to to make this a successful uh, venture. Yeah, any, a lot of these environments, they almost need something like dining or alcohol to sell to really bring the money in. Yeah, like a David Buster's type of thing. That's what I'm looking at when I, I finally found a picture on their website, simracingchicago.com. It's like a large warehouse. And uh, the front desk, I would call it the front desk where you go and sign up or whatever. It, it's like a big... Uh, display cases of uh, steering wheels so you can like pick the wheel you want to use and it looks pretty cool i don't see any food or beverage but there's places to sit and wait or watch and um yeah neat we talked about uh podium one is the name of a company in nashville trying to do the same thing now i don't think they actually have it set up like these guys these guys are uh, ready to go 
Now they don't take walk-in customers, but you have to reserve for groups two or more. It's almost like the go-kart track of, of today. You know, it's a, it's a tech version of a go-kart track where, you know, instead of taking a group and, and driving go-karts against each other, you just do it virtually. Um, so yeah. And, and that way your go-karts don't get the heck beat out of them. Like you usually see it at those places. I'd love to see a, one of these in Phoenix. On a side note, I also saw a story that the F1 arcade is expanding rapidly in the United States, and they're going to do something similar where they put simulators uh, in in big cities, uh, you know, in a room like this, and and call it F1 arcade. And capitalizing on that F1 um, increase in popularity. This next topic is a dyslexic person's nightmare. All right. Anybody want to <laughs> try to to pronounce that? I'm not sure what happened there, but it's a uh, it's Ciceric Noitserid, which is um, direction crisis backwards. It sounds it sounds very Scandinavian. Oh. <laughs> it's direction crisis spelled backwards because this this next topic came from uh, the forums where Caleb Balick posted his idea for a week 13 series called Direction Crisis, where all the races would be run on tracks in the reverse direction. Uh, which sound, And he put a poll up with it as well. So uh, you could vote whether you thought a Direction Crisis series would be a good idea. Um, and it's actually, uh, last I checked, uh, it was uh, doing really well in the poll. It was, uh, um, it was, it was well, had a lot more votes than for than against. Um, and, uh, you know, it would probably create a lot of issues with iRacing as far as if you try to run a course backwards, it's going to throw up all kinds of black flags and kick you out of the service if you do it in a succession but maybe they could maybe they could make that work so uh, i wonder what, what kind of races or courses would would be uh, idea for a reverse uh series well um it's uh, pretty neat with the uh I, i'm sorry i meant to say that the the votes are low and count but it is a pretty high percentage all those would be interesting except you'd almost want to run in a uh, a right seated car if you're going to go opposite direction in ovals. So I'd almost, I would almost want to do it in a supercar. The, the setups for an oval car would be terrible running backwards because they're completely made to turn the other way. There's, it's not like a road course where you make lefts and rights, you know, you're always making left turns and that's where, where your car is designed and set up to. And it, I mean, unless you completely reverse the settings uh, or the reverse the, um, the setup, maybe that would work. Yeah, but there are some, there are aren't there even some settings that are simply not symmetrical. You can't you can't flip them one way or the other. They're simply designed. They run on a diagonal instead, or something like that, where you where you can't yeah. just completely mirror it. Well, the next gen car is asymmetrical if we're talking about that car. But I was thinking the the fantasy track that would be a good one to start with. Let's let's make it where you can run that one backwards. The iRacing Super Speedway. Yeah, and any of the road courses, it would be pretty interesting too. That hurts. Yeah, that, yeah, that that would be do uh, the Nordschleife backwards. That would be fun to learn. It'd take you a little while to learn that one in reverse, maybe. Yeah, Line that Rock, would be fun. Line Rock would feel almost like a NASCAR track if it was all left turns instead of right turns. Yeah, I think there would be some fun tracks that would be good backwards. 
I think that would be a cool thing to do. If iRacing could, uh, you know, like I said, if iRacing could get it to where it's not going to throw red flags. And I mean, it, it's probably not that simple to do that. Yeah. Just because of the timing and everything else, who knows what would be involved. Well, one place they're not going to be running backwards on the track, or if they are, it's a bad sign for their season, is in the Coke Series. And, Mike, it, we have the 2023 Coke Series released. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised. Um, some changes. I think the biggest change is we end in the end of September instead of the end of October. Hang on. No one's going to address the elephant in the room. Monza on the list. Yeah, that's another big one. Monza. Uh, but one thing I do see, not to cut on your topic here, Mike, but you talk about the end of the season. Look where it's ending at instead of where the NASCAR season would end at. Homestead. Homestead. Nostalgic. So some surprises. I mean, so you got the Clash, you got the Daytona, and then Milwaukee Mile right there, right after Daytona. So that's a new one. And then they go to Atlanta, the new configuration for the first time in the Coke series as the fourth race. Richmond, and then, as you said, Monza. Now it's the road course of Monza without the chicanes. So this definitely set. They're not putting it in there as a placeholder for Chicago? I don't know. Chicago is until July 4th weekend, so it's way off compared to what NASCAR is running. And, I mean, NAS- Chicago is on the service already, right? So they wouldn't have to need a placeholder for it. Right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know what the idea there is. Maybe they just think that it won't be a good race. <laughs> yeah, because that would be typically the week that they run the Dirt Bristol race. So maybe they didn't think that was a, a good idea to do with the cup drivers. I think they should use the well, uh, the combined configuration. <laughs> well, when I first heard Monza, I was thinking Monza Oval. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? Well, the combined configuration goes, does the oval and the road course, except you go around the oval backwards. There you go. Go backwards on the course. No, it's the it's backwards compared to any regular oval, but you're still going in the regular direction on the road course. So I guess that, that proves you can do it, Brian. You just have to make a whole new configuration. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, but yeah, Monza, you can go either direction on with the oval. So, but what I'm curious is if they put Monza in there, which is definitely not a NASCAR race at all, and they want to stick as close as they can to the NASCAR schedule, why didn't they stick with a NASCAR sanctioned track? That's what I'm curious of. It's a very good question. Well, Well, if they were skipping Bristol because it's dirt that week, why not just do regular Bristol? Because regular Bristol is not on the schedule at all. So they're, they're skipping Bristol altogether. And um, and the week that they're doing Bristol Dirt, they're going to Monza. Good point. I'm just guessing they didn't want to do Dirt, and um, I don't know. And they, you know, they like they don't want to step on the toes of NASCAR either. They don't want to publicize a track that's different than the track they're going to, and especially if they're competing tracks, you know, in the NASCAR circuit. So maybe that has something to do with it. The other one that's in there later, so we talked about Monza, then it's Talladega, Vegas, Darlington, and they noted that's going to be like a throwback, and they're expecting, you know, throwback paint. Charlotte, 
and then uh, Gateway, which is new this year, Gateway. And I think the trucks are going to Gateway, right? Uh, the same weekend, and that's where maybe why that's there. And Charlotte is the Oval, too. It's not the Roval this year. There's no Charlotte Roval on the schedule. So how many road courses? For the Coke Series, only two. Yeah. Just Monza and Watkins Glen. Yeah. Yeah, so after Gateway, Watkins Glen, Nashville, New Hampshire returns. And then Pocono, the last race of the final season. And then the the last races are Michigan, Dover, Phoenix, and then the finale in Homestead. And like you said, Kyle, for them to do a different finale track than what NASCAR is doing, that really seems odd. Maybe they're trying to send a message to NASCAR. Hey, take it back. I'm sure NASCAR has a lot of say in what the schedule is. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about the decision to go to Monza. I, I really like to hear what they what they had to say about it. I'm not, I'm not dead set against it. I mean, it's not like the teams have to physically travel there like if NASCAR did. But i just just curious what their thought process was on that. I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be enough people uh, curious about it that they're going to have to make some kind of statement as to why they did that. Who knows? It might even be the truth. <laughs> so gone from the schedule um, from 2022 are Kansas and Road America. What do you, I mean, no, any loss there? I mean, we really, NASCAR really ditched Road America, didn't they? Yeah. And you know, they can never say again that it's about whether or not the crowds are coming to the track because they had record attendance. Yeah. Okay. As I mentioned before, uh, a key point was that we'll end a month earlier in, uh, in September as opposed to end of October. This could lead to a change in schedules for Road to Pro qualifying and contender series, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, is it the same number of races or are there just fewer breaks? It doesn't look like there's a all-star break. Didn't they used to use do an all-star break like when NASCAR did? Yep. Yeah, I don't see any breaks. Everything looks like it's spaced out to every two weeks without any exception. And, and I'll speak up for Donnie since Donnie's not here. Um, I don't know why they don't have uh, North Wilkesboro on here, whether it be an official race or, or a, a, a you know, a, a, some kind of special event type of race. Point. I mean, they got the the clash, Brian, listed as part of the schedule, and it's a non-points race. And Ch- and Chicago, the Chicago Street Course, is July fourth week, and um, they skipped that, which is kind of interesting because I think there's going to be a lot of hoopla. It's it's a you know big holiday week, um, and, and NASCAR is going to be there for the first time. I don't know how great of the race it's going to be, but but I think that. Um, you, I would have thought that iRacing would have capitalized in some of the uh, hype that's going to surround that race. Yeah, we got video uh, from iRacing as well that kind of goes over the schedules to make it easy to consume. Uh, that was nice. And uh, Mike, I'm sorry, you did mention that they're doing the LA Coliseum um, clash again this year. Yeah, it's at the top of the schedule there, and um, yeah. it's a non-points event. Now, I got a quote from iRacing president, Tony Gardner. The 2023 schedule is a mix of the tracks that we have provided that have provided us with the most exciting races in series history, including a return to Homestead for the finale and some new venues that will throw even our most experienced drivers a curveball early in the season. We can't wait to kick things off with the clash later this month. 
All right. Well, we look forward to it. It's going to be really interesting now that they've uh, gone with that shakeup and at, Mon- at Monza. Uh, it kind of makes me want to go jump in the car and try it there. Not really. Uh, I was. I, I'd rather run it in a GTE. We got one more uh, main topic to hit, and that is a group called Grip Grip X Racing, which is based in Grip Seattle. Works. Grip Works. Okay. Um. Again, these kind of things just hammer a dyslexic person. Uh, it's east of Seattle, and you can rent time in a highly immersive simulator. Yeah, so we talked about Chicago, and now we got Seattle. We talked about Nashville a few weeks ago. So, yeah, they're coming out of the woodworks, guys. And uh, this one is a little more low-key than the Chicago one. Um, a well-lit office uh, environment, large room, wood floors, and several uh, cockpits set up um different styles and uh yeah it looks like fun and they got four different cockpits sitting in at least that little main room and then a couple of tvs up on the wall that i guess are using other accounts to connect and track so i looked at pricing it says gloves are two dollars he has a covid precaution we require drivers to wear gloves you get a punch card and uh, I don't actually see. Oh, here's the pricing. One session is 15 minutes for 20 bucks. Three sessions, you get one free. That's 60 minutes. So for $60, you get 60 minutes. It sounds like now all you can drive day pass $100. That's actually a little bit cheaper than some go-kart places. I, th- I seem to remember the go-kart track over at gateway being a little bit higher than that. I think it's reasonable. They also have a page for the different simulators they have and the equipment details. Looks like nice stuff. I mean, this first one has got a cube controls wheel and a semi-cube two base. Can't tell if it's a sport or a pro. Looks like Heiskenveld uh, pedals. SimLab uh, chassis. Frax shifter. Four base shakers. Pretty cool. Well, it mentions in the... Um... In the advertisement here, that it's uh, it says uh, you can pick your poison of which type of racing you want to do, drifting or road racing. So if it's drifting, they're definitely not using iRacing, I would write. So they must have a different um, a different software for this. Yeah, and you got to imagine, you got to figure out commercial licensing. I mean, these places just can't open and sign into iRacing, right? No, definitely not. Uh, yeah, and I get you would have to have your own iRacing account to to get on, even if you go to a location. So, yeah. so all these. How do they do that? Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I was going to say, so um, how do they do that? If you need your license at the trailers, like they at the uh, NASCAR events, where you can hop onto iRacing and do laps and stuff like that. They just leave it on a certain account. Um, um, probably okay. Probably okay by iRacing, uh, understanding that it's being run by different people and it's used for promotion. Promotion. And okay. you, can't, you can't go in there and start switching settings. You know, I've, I've run it once. Um, I don't remember which track I was at, but they had a they had a a, a sim set up somewhere, and um, you couldn't change anything. Couldn't even go into the steering ratio. I was going to say uh, with these businesses popping up. I, you know, if you wanted to start one where you lived, 
I mean, what kind of capital, CapEx, I mean, investment would you need to get something like this off the ground? I mean, this one in Seattle is probably as as low-key as you can get to really pull it off. I mean, the one in Chicago looks a lot like it costs three or four times as much, you know, because they have more stuff. But they got, you know, they got office space, you know, to put it in. They got the four rigs you know, probably a counter to take the money and a cash register, you know, and that's what they got. So if you add all that up, I'm still thinking it's, you know, a hundred, $200,000. Well, and real estate's not too cheap in any city either. Right. You're leasing space and you got to have a lot of customers to, to pay the bill. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the business model works. We'll have to see. Well, what does work though is Brian tell us about the uh, world of health laws week six. Yeah, so week six, we were at Fairbury Speedway in Illinois. Um, it's a smaller little track, uh, about a three-eighths mile oval. Um, really, a really interesting race today because uh, this this time, uh, James Edens winds up taking the win. That's his uh, second win in a row. He won last week as well. Um, he's the, uh, Him and Hayden Carwell are the only repeat winners so far this season. Um, second place went to Kenny Miller, who won the race at Lincoln Speedway early this year. He's uh, he's a um, he is a rookie to the season to the series here, and uh, he's really making a good show of things. So he's a really really good season for him as far as rookies go. Now Timothy Smith finished third, and uh, why is that important? Because Timothy Smith was in third place in points leading up to this race, but both Alex Bergeron and Tyler Shell, who were one and two coming into this race, both were had, were involved in incidents and uh, finished towards the back of the field. So uh, after the points uh, were dealt out, Timothy Smith actually has a two-point lead now over Alex Bergeron oh. after after leads uh, after uh, week six. Tyler Shell dro- is dropped to third after his incident points, but yeah, it was really cool because uh, Alex and Tyler were both up in the top ten, uh, both having decent races. Not great for Alex, especially because he was around eighth or ninth and not really making any progress, but he got involved into a wreck that sent him to the back of the field and uh, really, really turned the points on its head. So so we got a new leader heading into week seven. So this, uh, this championship race looks like it's going to come down right to the wire. And uh, Timmy C. Smith, with, with his point leads, he actually has not won a race yet this season. So he's just been really consistent, had a f- couple near misses, a couple P2s, and uh, just couldn't get it done a couple times. But he's uh, been racking up the points and not had had any uh any big mistakes or big bad bad weeks to uh to put him behind so week seven's coming up there's only three weeks left after after this race um or four weeks left i'm sorry um and uh we'll see if there's a new champion or if alex bergeron can hang on to win another title you're welcome all right, we covered them pretty far in depth, so I'm just going to quick hit our events that are coming up. We have the iRacing Special Events coming up first, the 2023 iRacing Roar. That's going to be January 13th through 15th, and it's going to feature the touring cars, the GT4s, and the Toyota, Toyota GR86. By this point, you know the starting times are 22, 7, 12, and 16 on Saturday. That's all GMT. Got to have a D4.0. D4. So runs for 2.4 hours, hop in there and get you some track time at Daytona. And then also the big one, the 2023 iRacing Daytona 24 powered by VCO. 
This is featuring all the new IMSA cars. Same start times, but the next weekend, the 20th through the 22nd. Still going to have that D4.0. And it's got a 30-minute warm-up with dynamic weather. The qualifying is attached. And it's all the IMSA cars. Field size of 50. Not this weekend, but next weekend is the Roar. And then two weekends away is the 24. And they do note that they'll do the balance of power one week prior to the event. And it's going to be interesting because uh, how they make the, some of those decisions. Because I don't know if it's because they just couldn't figure it out because they had to wait so long to put out the special events calendar. But IMSA is not running this this track the same week. They're running it like a few weeks later. So it's kind of disappointing that people are not going to get to do all that practice in, on the IMSA track. Uh, but yeah, they'll, they'll put the balance of power out the week prior. I know we've been practicing in the BMW at Watkins Glen and a few other tracks. And Mike is a tire murderer. We found that out. So we did run a practice race at Daytona and, uh, that was good. And I, you know, you got a schedule kind of put together, right? And so we're making progress. Yeah, we're set to go. I've, I've got the schedule can always change, but if it, nothing comes up, our time slots are set. Okay. Are we looking for more drivers? Not for our group. We've already got five. Okay. And the other group, I think they still need somebody, right? I, I don't know if, to, if Joe has actually gotten in touch with, uh, with Tony or not. I guess we'll sort that out or they'll sort that out. Yeah, I, I was uh, tweeting with some guy, uh, actually a previous guest, Kevin Ruck, uh, Rucker's Kev is his name. Uh, he was looking for a team, and and uh, but he wanted to run the LMP2. And so far, I, my fears about the LMT2 just completely disappearing from the server has not kind of, not really come up. I've been seeing them in every race that I'm in, so I think we should be able to see a split with with all three classes when we get in. podcast housekeeping leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find the podcast mention the podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out we do appreciate it check out our discord we have a lot of activity going over there our website of course is iracerslounge.com we're in regular rotation at performance motorsports network and kyle i'm going to throw this part to you tell us about the Roku TV iRock channel. I'll hear you. All right. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, push talk. Um, so the iRock TV channel was what used to be the sim racing channel. Um, the new current owner, Brian Rick, uh, purchased it from Jim. Jim had a lot going on, so he was able to uh, really manhandle that. So Brian decided to uh, purchase it from him and put his spin on it. So we. It's still the same as it was before as far as content and standards, everything else, I think it's changed. All it is is the name, basically. It's the only change. Uh, we we did add in an extra stream uh, key for that so we can kind of get more streams up at once. Uh, once we see that's going to take off pretty good, we are going to actually upgrade to more stream keys as well. So we sure, if you have a Roku device, download the iRock TV channel uh, to your Roku, that way, if you you know you're sitting in bed or watching on the couch and you want to watch some sim racing go for it uh, also if you want to watch your podcast here go for it 
Uh, we're all right there on the iRock TV. Living large or strapped for cash, it's all good at Metro Ford Chicago. Metro Ford delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com or call the owner, Patrick Milligan, 773-983-3166. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 30 Five years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. All right, kicking off the hardware software sponsored by Metro Ford. We're going to first talk about the best wheel combo under 500. Brian, take this one. Yeah, this was a video posted by uh, Sean Cole from the Sim Pit um, where he kind of just went through all the. I'll call them entry level wheel and rim s- setups where um, where uh, f- that you can get for under f- under five hundred dollars. So uh, he goes over the uh, Logitechs, uh, the um, uh, the Thrustmaster, and all the ones that you're that you're familiar with, uh, to try to figure out which one he liked the best. Um, I'm going to check it out again real quick because I don't remember where he, what he uh, decided on because we've been pushing this story off for a couple of weeks because we've been so backed up. Uh, the list, I'll give the list here. So we have the brand new company we talked about once before, PXN, with a $300 wheel. Then you have the Logitech version at 400 but on sale at 300 And then three Thrustmaster options. I think he landed on the Thrustmaster option, one of those, depending on what you can afford. There's a 400 a 450 and a $500 option. All right. Well, this next part or rig that we're looking at is going to be a lot more than 500 bucks. Uh, Astatech is now selling a, the carbon fiber from their LMPs that can be actually used by a designer to make an LMP rig. This is crazy. So Yeah, that's really they cool. Had, Cool. They had this car at the Sim Racing Expo. That's where it started. Apparently, they bought it because now they're trying to, you know, get rid of it. So you are a customer. You can buy it <laughs> now. Not the whole thing, but you can buy body parts and different things off of it, so you can recreate your own Sim Racing, you know, uh, LMP. So it's fifteen thousand euros is the asking price. It says, should you decide to grab the carbon fiber exterior of this LMP3 vehicle, you'll be given a factory tour as well. Uh, to get you started on your creation of your ultimate rig, Assetec includes their top-end Invecta pedals and their 27NM wheelbase plus a 40 steering wheel. Not a bad deal for the 15000 So they'll throw in all their new product with it as well. And there's actually two complete sets of fiber bodywork for sale, including headlights, LEDs, even the rear wing. The car itself is not included. If you need a roof, windshield, or doors, you can purchase those from Ligier. I wonder if that's because the chassis is actually still usable, but the body rules have changed. And so they're actually going to be able to use the chassis, but just have have to swap out the body. There's some reason they're selling it. Yeah, why not? How so cool the question would that is, be? Did anyone buy it? <laughs> yeah. How cool would that be to have your rig set up like that with the? There's some rich fellow out there who's bought it. 
I would really enjoy looking at it every time I had my VR on. Oh, wait. <laughs> and it's got the Ace Attack SimSport paint job on it, too. So it's got the black and orange, and yeah, it looks cool. All right, I think I watched this next video, but I don't I don't remember because like like you said, we were, we're catching up on the hardware topics. This one was put out by Sim Racer Corner or yeah, and it basically explains the basics that you need to know about load cell pedals and how it changes the braking amount that you use by force instead of by the force that you're pushing down rather than the actual movement of the pedal. All right, have you checked this one out, Kyle? We can hear you. Yeah, you're gonna sip over me while I get this fixed. All right. I watched it. Go ahead. Uh, I'll I'll uh I'll mention. You know, we always talk about these pedals all the time, and and if you don't have the basic understanding of what the differences are, it can be a little overwhelming. So, I appreciate videos like this that are kind of like back to basics. Okay, let's you know explain it to me like I'm five, and and that's and that's kind of what this is, but. You know, you have a G27 Logitech pedal. You know, the pedal amount is how much you're pushing it down. Very simple. You push it down 100%, you're 100% on the pedal. With these other ones, it's not if you how much you push it. It's, you know, the 100% throw. It's the force of that squeezing those, those pads down and that pressure. How much actual pressure are you putting on the pedal to, to get to a certain point? And, and honestly, hydraulic pedals work very much the same way. You know, you're, you're pushing down a force. And so load cell and hydraulic are, are very similar. It's just the way that they go about it are different. And I guess for 2023, we have a, a third, um, you know, one type of pedal, and that's the new uh, Semi-Cube one, you know, that's all based on direct drive. I guess that's actually fourth, right? Instead of just going yeah. off of Holofix sensors. Mm-hmm. All right, Brian, the next thing we have is a SimCore SD-1XL from that includes an SDC. Yes, yeah, so a pretty, a pretty cool-looking uh, button box. Uh, actually, I, technically, I guess it's a streaming deck, but um, so uh, it's made by uh, SimCore. It's SD-1XL. Uh, it's got um, a whole array of, uh, looks like a 30 or... 30 buttons on it um three six um no that would be a four, 32. 32. 32 yeah 32 buttons with uh encoders on the side uh rotary dial and uh so a couple other other things i, I think that's all included with this so um it's a yeah if you're looking for a stream deck you might want to check this out because it's got a couple other options to it that'll that'll make it really uh customizable now what SimCore is selling here, though, is the enclosure for the Stream Deck. And um, what's really caught my eye is not really the enclosure, but this button box coming off the side of it. And so that's a separate piece that they sell, $185. Man, it looks mm-hmm. freaking cool. It looks decent, but that's, yeah, not, that's, that's not a whole not lot of functionality lot. for that price. For $185 seems seems a little... A little steep. And basically that little button box thing, it's it kind of bolts onto the side of the stream deck enclosure. Okay, you I end up you. with uh, both of them. Well, it looks like it comes in different colors too. We saw like that anodized red. There's a there's a yellow that looks pretty neat too. Um, 
and it's uh looks like it's got some stickers too that you can uh, label them um traction control volume menus uh mapping buttons and brake bias buttons or stickers i should say the other thing that sets this apart from other products is the the part facing you has a couple knobs and a joystick but then the side of it that's kind of facing off to your right has three knobs on it too so you have buttons knobs on on two sides of this box basically the front and the side which is unique which like you, you know to me i would use those i'd use those for volumes you know uh you just reach over and twist yeah i don't know if i'd put any uh, depending on where you mount it i don't think it's going to be a real easy place to reach just because it's you know it's set off the side of the stream deck um in the, in the picture we have here on the script, it's uh, on the right-hand side, you know, um, and then he's got triple monitors. It's almost to the edge of the third monitor on the right-hand side. So um, I don't know if I'd put anything on there that's really important for you to be able to do while you're driving because you're going to be reaching quite a bit to reach those things if it's attached to the stream deck. It's really off, It would really be off to the right is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And that's usually right where people have their shifters and handbrakes and, you know, those kind of items. So I was thinking if I mounted this product, you know, on the right side, it would definitely interfere with my shifter and it wouldn't work. All right. This next one is, is actually a little bit more closer to the core. It's the DSD Fobster. And the script should probably be updated because... Uh, this was this Instagram post is two weeks old, and it says the uh, Fobster is out due out next week. So it's been released probably at this point. And this is just basically a I guess it looks like maybe a Velcro or or some other way attached button that you can put on any oval rim, and it, it's got a it's got a a joystick on it as well as two buttons. Eighty bucks, and you can order now, and they ship by January twenty third, and it is uh it's got two strap holes on it so you can like velcro it to your oval rim that's the whole idea now what's what's awkward to me about this is you still have to plug it into a usb um, he does include an angle head usb for free to make it a little less awkward but imagine you're turning your wheat your oval wheel and there's a wire you know come flying around you know as well it, this seems weird well, looking at it, you can actually see where the wire connects on the inside of it. So I think that makes it even more awkward. Right, where you might put your hand as you're, you know, grabbing the joystick, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure there'll be revisions. And one of the last pictures has multiple items attached to the same wheel, which would get an even clutter, more clutter. You definitely wouldn't have cable management in this situation. His pictures look great because there's no cables. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. To me, it looks like that joystick would be in danger of getting ripped off if, you, if you're running a wheel with high force feedback and it's starting to spin around on you real fast. You know, you're just grabbing for whatever you can. If you hit that joystick, is it going to just rip it right off? I would think you would put it on the spoke and not up on the actual wheel. But Well, it's not the way they have it in the pictures, but you could be right, right. though. Yeah, they, it could be done that way. Now, you can order different colors, too, for an extra 10 bucks. Well, this next one comes from I can't, from Traxion, and it's basically a price guide for the current direct drive wheels. 
We've got, and it's got every one of them listed. It doesn't actually. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Sim Magic is missing uh, from this list. So a lot of the commenters on the video were quick to point that out, especially the ones that own the Sim Magic wheels. But uh, it, it is a pretty comprehensive list. And so that's why I ended up uh, putting it on here so we could just kind of say them out loud and, and, and make sure everybody knows what's available. So let's just hit them. So Fan Attack, nothing's changed there. You got the DD1, the DD2. Uh, they're 1200 or 1500. You also have the DD and the DD Pro. Okay, they're 350 or uh, 200 more to get to the 8NM. Um, so Fan Attack. Then you have Moza, and uh, they have their entry level R5 and R9 at 350 or 439. And then their R16 and R21, 1,000 or 1,200. Ace Attack, we talked about them uh, from the Sim Racing Expo. They announced their three new wheelbases that are really not out in the wild yet. They're uh, got a bundle at 840, uh, a wheel at 800, and one at 1200. You have the new Logitech at 1000, Thrustmaster at 650. That's also new. You have the older VRS at 800, the Camus at 900, Leo Bodner 4585. We won't even mention that one. And finally, the Semi Cube, they left the best for last. The Sports, the Pro, and the Ultimate. Uh, the sport is 1292, the pro 1500 and the ultimate 3276. Um, another mission here is, uh, AccuForce too. You, I would have thought they would have, oh, AccuForce that's right. On there. Oh, that's right. Yep. It's a healthy wheel market. You know, if you look just a couple of years ago, this list was much shorter. So it's good to see. And hopefully Fanatec comes out with something new in 2023. All right, Brian, who needs a curve monitor when you can actually just bend one? Yeah, this is, we, I think we've had one other monitor that did, but this is a Corsair. Um, they're taking pre-orders for their Xeon Flex. It's the, they say it's the world's first bendable 21 by 9 OLED gaming monitor. So it's a, it's a 21 by 9 stand, uh, standard looking monitor until you grab the edges and you fold it in and it curves. So, um, Pretty, pretty neat. This interesting, uh, interesting idea. Um, I, uh, my, my, my concern is, you know, when you fold it in, how does the screen not crumple or fold on itself? You know, you can't. I mean, it, to me, it seems like you would definitely get some kind of dis distortion where the screen uh, starts to bend. But um, I don't know. Maybe it's something that they figured out somehow. Um, if it's flat enough, maybe it can it can be done. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to see you know like real world um, testing on this before I give it my full support. Yeah, it's a little weird and it's expensive two thousand dollars. I mean, I don't think it's worth it for that kind of price. I mean, but. I guess the idea is, hey, I'm gonna work on it on a flat screen during the day, and I'll, I'll bend it at night and game on it. <laughs> I almost bought the folding phone when I was looking at my next upgrade, and I was kind of talked out of it because of the crease that would build in those. Yeah, and that's the same thing I'd be concerned about with with one of these monitors. Um, it's just physics means that 
you know, when you shorten the shorten the radius of that thing, it's got to go somewhere. Um, so unless they figured something out that that compensates for it, or or if it's so thin that it doesn't have a you know a radius change because of that, maybe. But um, yeah, like I said, I really like to see somebody test this out to see how well it does. Yeah, get the ten year old on the. Uh... On there, oh, I bent it a little too much, or oh boy, Mike, I'm I'm glancing at the next article and I'm thinking, really, didn't we just get the 40s, and now we're already talking about the 50s from Nvidia? Well, that's kind of what tech industry does. They're always talking about the next new thing, and that's what we've heard uh, on Nvidia's RTX 50 series are going to turn out to be the first mainstream PCM-based GPU from the company if recent reports are to be believed. Not only that, but Blackwell architecture could very well bring the largest performance leap in the company's history. NVIDIA recently confirmed this. Blackwell GPU architecture will be releasing in 2024. I think you said PCM, but it's actually MCM, if anybody's... Get wanting to watch for what the acronym means. I don't know what MCM means or PCM. Well, it, it's good to hear that there's improvement can be made. I mean, at some point, you would think they've they've got the the chips as thin as they can get them and as fast as they're going to get them and that kind of thing. But according to this, it sounds like you know we're going to have another huge leap. Well, the chips are getting so small, they're they're reaching the boundaries of, of where the uncertainty principle, if you want to talk physics, starts to get in the way and make make the computations nearly impossible. So we're, there's this thing called Moore's Law, and at some point it's going to run out. Until you get to nanocomputers, I guess. They already are nano. Okay. The the, the size of the transistors is, is, in, is measured in nanometers. Yeah, I think uh, it's rumored the new iPhone 15 for next year is going to be at the 2 nm nanometers, 2. I got the next one. Uh, this is just an update on what I mentioned before about the new Fanatec driver and Fanalab software update. Uh, we heard from listener Cody Richardson on Discord. He said, on Fanalab, it has always had the ability to use profiles uh, and the gentleman that was making the setups in the forums, he's been doing it for two years now. Um, they just don't do a very good job telling their customers about it. And he said, it looks like the difference in the software is now it can automatically load the car profile in for you. Saves him a couple of steps for sure. I seem to remember when you were getting in um, the practice race, you asked which profile you should use, and you, you named two drivers that I'd never heard of. And Suzuki? You haven't heard of him? He's a, he's a YouTube streamer, and I think he works for Gomez now. Nope. And the other guy I mentioned was Daniel Morad. Now, what I do, I race SemiCube, not FanAttack. So with SemiCube, they have a search engine built right into the software where you can search, you know, GT3 car, and it will bring up a list of profiles that iRacers I have put up. And you just can, like, literally click it, and it loads, and you're running it. So that's how I've actually uh, ran my wheel. I have yet to set a profile by myself. I've been using other people's profiles the whole time. So you're down with OPP. OPP? It's, it was an, an old rap song. <laughs> you're supposed to be a music guy too, man. Come on. Right over my head. 
I think it was a '90s rap song. It meant other people's problems back then, and and the the hook of the song was "You're Down with OPP." All right, Mike, you've kind of become our wheel guy. Why don't you talk a little bit about Grid MPX? Yeah, it's available for pre-order for their MPX Formula wheel. Now, Grid is that uh, Grid Engineering by Sim Lab, and uh, I don't know. I mean. It, it, it's got a look to it that is a little different. Um, I, I like the grips. They, they look nice. Um, there's different colors, if schemes, as you scroll through the pictures. Five knobs in the middle and, uh, you know, five or so buttons on each side within your, you know, thumb, you know, for your thumb. A couple rotaries there for bias and whatnot. Um, yeah, your normal formula wheel. No screen, nothing fancy like that. A screw-on cable connector, double set of paddles. Yeah, you almost don't don't get you a formula wheel unless you have uh, two sets. At this point, I would say. Agreed. Yeah, and some of them you can get three now. Well, yeah the the advanced power module that I use has, or pedal module paddle module module has that, the three. And it was really handy with the manual boost on the LMP, but now it, it, I actually use it to just switch modes when we're in the hybrid. It's a thousand euros, but on early bird pricing at eight seventy five. I don't know, man. There's so many offerings right now, so you really got to set yourself apart somehow. And I don't know that they have. Yeah, it's almost like they have to just kind of squeeze into the market nowadays, right? You just put something out there and try to get, gain traction, really. Well, where I was going with that is, Brian, if you look at the next one, it looks like they're really trying to squeeze all of the motion hardware into a real tight space. Yeah, this is, um, this is a new one from uh, TS Custom, the Response Pro. It's a, it's a compact motion simulator, but um, it's, it's really interesting because it's all... Um, motorized as far as the adjustments go on it so there's a, a motorized toggle switches for moving the seat back and forward to move in, moving the pedals around and even moving the uh, steering um, uh, geometry so it's really interesting really interesting looking um, and really customizable with uh, with all those uh, mechanical adjustments to it um, it's a uh, yeah it's 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 a it's a they call it a hyper simulator. It's the first time I think I've heard that that term, um, but uh, it's 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 pretty 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 amazing. Um, and uh, I don't have the link to the uh, the actual websites. I don't see any pricing. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those deals where there's no you got to call for a price. Now what's interesting sure. is all of the all of the pistons are on the back, and it actually has a couple of the actuators kind of moving the upper back portion of the seat forward, right? It's almost like sh it's got two shoulder pistons and then two hip pistons, all four on the back. You see how it moves the brake pedals around? I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they're almost like triple axles where it kind of folds itself up. Um, it's really neat. Um, and it does have a, you know, it does have motion when you're driving it, but it's, um, they're, they're actuators that are from the back of the seat that kind of move you front and backwards and, and side to side. So it's not like the full platform is moving, just the, the uh, seat within it. 
Yeah, they're all on the back. Two two attached on the shoulder, and then the two two kind of moving the whole seat down at down at, or moving the seat more uh, more like roll for the seat. Whereas the uh, the two in the back are kind of more pitch and yaw. Yeah, really, really interesting system there. Um, you you really got to check it out if you go onto our website and uh, go to this uh, TS Customs Response Pro and look how this thing works. It's pretty amazing. All right, I'm going to yeah, the next I, one. To, oh, go ahead, man. Well, I was going to say I Googled it, and I didn't find any website to buy it. I'm going to throw this one over to Kyle for this monitor if he's got his buttons working. Yep, we're good now. All right. Uh, so the LG Ultra Gear 48 gaming monitor. Uh, I watched this video actually before I even realized it was on the script. And this monitor is amazing. Uh, there is another one we're going to talk about that is actually amazing too. Uh, but this thing's got a massive large screen. Just the the color transition. And we oh, lost we lost him. Yeah, his uh, Discord froze as well. All right. All right. Well, I'll take over because I also watched this and was drooling. And this was a big topic in our uh, our dry our chat over this this week. I was like putting this in there and saying, you know what? This is the ultimate monitor for triples. Forty eight inches, razor thin. The bezels are razor thin, and as Kyle had already stated, it looks absolutely amazing as far as the quality. The specs are through the roof. I mean, one millisecond, and and it's not a TV, guys. It is a monitor, specifically a gaming monitor, and the specs really, really point to that. Yeah, so. Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me of uh, Will Ford at Boost the Media. He's got those triple 60s. Um, but they're like 15 grand each. So <laughs> this is a little bit more uh, within the more, more price range for, for average shows. These are a thousand each. Okay. Yeah. So, it's it's so a lot more. Three of them is 3000, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think these are the, the size at 48 inch where you set up the triples in front of your cockpit, not like right above the wheel, like my 27s are you would have it out in front of you kind of like will ford does and if you get the right distance right it would be just perfect i think and uh, i think i always thought his 60s were probably too big this might be a good sweet spot for those uh, standalone triples and the price is right and the quality is right and the bezels are thin and it has a visa mount the cabling is not where the visa mount will be. I mean, I, every, it checks all the boxes for an iRacer. It really does. It's got display port, uh, it, you know, all that. So you can drive, um, I don't know what they call it, 4K 144 hertz. I think it's what they call it. Yeah, I think you're right. I, re- I do remember seeing that on there. And then there's a HDMI 2.1 that carries that extra bandwidth, and it's capable of that as well. So how much would it take to upgrade to this triples? I mean, 3000 for the monitors, maybe another 1000 you know, conservatively for the, you know, the stand or stands. So $4,000 project. And then you have to have a computer to drive it. And so it's time to get that, G- that GTX 50. Exactly. Do, do most cards have uh, three display ports on them, though? Actually, I don't think four, they do, right? Four. They have four display ports? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I well, don't have the four, well, four Ks yet. They come in a weird, they come in a weird configuration and it kind of depends on each card. Some will have two display ports and, and, and a mini USB port and a, dis, and a, uh, HDMI port. So, uh, they, I think that's what mine has. So they come in some weird configurations, but they have four ports. Sometimes you just have to use adapters. You know, I I always thought at some point I'm going to get better triples because I bought like the cheapest crap monitors I could get for 27 inch, really thick bezels. You know, they're they're crap, and I'd like to upgrade them at some point. Yeah, but you had to have that butt kicker, right? That's right. All right, we have another wheel. This one is the P9XX. It looks like this is a pre-subscription so far or pre-order. It's coming from Sim Rep Engineering, right? And it's another yeah. formula wheel. Got It's got dual clutch on the back and as well as shifter pedals. And your standard front button alignment, too. Kind of looks more like a Ferrari setup. Well, no, this is the Porsche setup. In fact, I think it's supposed to be similar to the... Uh, not, I think it's a Porsche rim essentially, and so it's it's because it says something on here in the in the uh, in the description about being designed similar to an RSR. This has a really high quality look to it, doesn't it? I mean, look at the paddles. The material on the pa- the the paddles are made out of. This is not cheap, guys. It's twenty two hundred euros. Oof. Yeah, that's. And I mean, it looks really nice. Like I said, the the buttons, the, those knobs, those turn knobs, they look high high end. And of course, it's got a display. And if you look, I'm in the sure, back, I like the grips. Yeah, and if you look in the back end, it's a screw in connector. Yep. I think you almost I, I just gotta, about need that, don't you? Well, I gotta say, the Cube Controls brand with their magnetic chi uh, connector, whatever they call it. Man, that's leading the industry because that is so nice. Because if the wheel spins or something, the magnet's going to rip off and it's not going to destroy your wheel, you know. And um, I have yet for it to even do that because the magnet's so strong. But if it ever came to it, it's not going to damage my wheel. Now, with the screw-in connector, you run out of slack while that thing is spinning, it's going to rip your right off. It's going to damage it. Freaking nice looking, though. I have not heard of this company until uh, this week, though. Simrep-engineering.com. It looks nice. We next put this up. one on the show, uh, David, the next one for Greg, because we were talking about this last week. Well, he's not here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about it? It's a V-Rig S1. The V-Rig is a highly adjustable simulator that can easily switch from road to rally to GT to formula seating. And Greg had said that he was seriously considering this rig when he was shopping initially. Now, it's not motorized like the one we saw earlier on the show, but it is easy to manipulate uh, the pedals, the seating position, the position of the wheelbase and so forth, all very adjustable and so in just a few minutes you could probably switch from one to the other it even has a compact kind of storage position where the pedals in the seat are right up against the wheel 
it's got a really nice um, triple monitor mount as well. That's very, you know, triple triples. I don't know, Mike, how, how much trouble you had lining up the monitors, but this thing looks like it would be so easy to line up your monitors just the way you want them without having to go through a whole lot of a headache. You're right. They got the adjustability built in. It's very easy to manipulate, like you said. I mean, when I did my triples, I made sure to buy um, those Sim Lab uh, Visa. I forget what the they call them, but they're they have a product that helps you align these uh, Visa mounts, and they have little screws on them, so you can fine tune it. Like I needed a millimeter more to the right, you just go to the screw and twist it once, you know. Uh, and without those, yeah, it would be super difficult to get lined up. All right, this next monitor, Brian, is literally almost wide enough that it could almost be as wide enough to count as triples, right? Yeah, this is um this is from Samsung, and they just recently revealed this G95SC. It's a 49-inch model that claims to be the uh, claims is the first world's first. 32 by 9 aspect ratio OLED gaming monitor. Um, it's also reminds us that the 34-inch monitor that debuted. It reminds us of the 34-inch uh, monitor that debuted in the fall of last year. But um, this thing's going to be coming out pretty soon. And man, it is a wide monitor. It's curved, of course. Um, so yeah, I I don't think we've seen prices yet for it. Um, but I think uh, the the uh, the Odyssey, the other G9s are are around a thousand dollars. So I'm kind of curious where this one's going to come in at. Thirty-two by nine—that is so so wide, like you said. Yeah, it looks like two widescreen, regular widescreens put side by side. It's just amazing. Well, that would be the math, wouldn't it? Because it, yeah, that's the right. Old, the old letterbox is sixteen by nine. Sixteen by nine, yeah. So it's basically two two regular sixteen by nine widescreen side by side in one curved monitor. It's, I haven't uh, seen any thirty four um, forty by fourteen forty resolution. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. What the resolution was? You got Visa mount. All the specs are really good. It's OLED. And this is, I'm sorry, this is actually a 57 inch wide. Sorry, I think I said 48. That was the older model. This is a 57. Wow. It comes, wow. In, it comes in 8K resolution. 8K. So the first thing about this, does iRacing support that resolution and that aspect ratio? I would guess not. I bet you end up with a letterbox. Don't you think? I kind of think you're right. So I'm not sure about that, but I would guess you would end up with a letterbox if you were trying to punch in the numbers for this monitor. Now, if it did work and you wanted to rig with one monitor, boy, I think this is the one. I mean, I don't think I would do anything crazy like triples with this. I mean, if you tried triples with this, it would go like in a circle almost. You know? <laughs> you're right. Because it's so wide, but... But if you're just buying one, man, but the thing is, it's so big, like you said, it, it, you wouldn't want to mount that right behind your wheel. I mean, you'd have to put it farther out because of how wide it is, I think. You know yeah, what I mean? Um, uh, Tyler, Tyler was looking at this and thinking maybe that would something he would be considering instead of instead of triples. And, you know, by the time you buy three monitors that are decent, 
you know, you're probably probably right in the same price range as this without all the extra mounting stuff that you have to do with a triple monitor. You're right. And I think he's on to something for sure, because why do we do triples to begin with? It's all about getting that wide aspect ratio. And, and like you said, Brian, this one monitor gives you basically two monitors worth of aspect ratio, which is, is enough. I mean, is that the same as triples? Not quite. But how often am I turning my head all the way to the left or all the way to the right to see the corner of my triples? I'm not. It's in the peripher you know, peripheral vision. And, and this thing is so wide, it's giving you plenty of peripheral. I, I think you're going to be able to see the guys next to you um, with, with something like this. Freaking cool. You know, if they if they support it, I, I don't know if I would buy it unless I know, does it actually work in iRacing? Good point. All right. Well, Mike, as excited as you are about that monitor, um, I think you were equally as riled up about the next topic. <laughs> yeah, I thought this was comical. So we've heard about the Thrustmaster DD wheel. They call it the T818. And now that it's out in the wild, I'm starting to see review videos and whatnot. Well, the two that I ran across, both of them had trouble mounting it to regular rigs that you everybody has. Uh, the first guy actually has three different brands rig, rig, and it didn't work on any of the three. And then another guy uh, who did the second video, it didn't work on his either. In, bo in both cases, they had to drill holes in their existing rigs to be able to mount this thing. Well, the, the uh, first video, the guy actually found out that they make a mounting adapter to fit to a regular mounting holes. So you'd have to, and then he had to buy it. It was like 30, 30 bucks, I think it was, um, around $30 to buy that adapter. And then he had to wait, you know, however long it takes him to get it. So he's just sitting there waiting for it to come in. What, what kind of, I mean, what kind of genius is this, Brian, I, that Thrustmaster decided, you know, to have a, a pattern that nobody uses? Yeah, that's that's bad. I wonder if it has anything to do with the shape of it. You know, this has got that, um, what's it, hexagonal shape where it's, uh, you know, it doesn't have a real wide bottom. So maybe they were limited to how they can mount the holes. But, I mean, you got to account for that. I mean, it's 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 just not good business practice to make your product incompatible with uh with what's already out there you know you don't have the market pool to be able to make everybody adjust to your one wheel uh when everybody else uses something different you know you got somebody new to the scene like donnie donnie spiker who's been out there a cup a year or two and he's buying equipment like crazy and and he does his due diligence. And what is the one thing that he does due diligence about on a wheelbase? Man, I got to have a way to mount it. I got to have something to mount it to. And 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 so if you were going to buy this Thrustmaster, and you know, you're trying to do your due diligence, am I going to be able to mount this thing to my rig without modifying it or buying extra parts or what? Wow. All right, I'll kick the next one off because because this one hits a little close to home since I have a 39 Ti. And the question on the topic is, is the NVIDIA 4070 Ti a 3090 Ti killer? Now, I didn't actually get to go through and watch the video with sound, but I just 
took a quick glance at the benchmarks and it seems to me like at least based on the benchmarks the answer is no it is not in fact the 3090 ti seems to be outperforming now yeah. the other, the other Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Brian. I was going to say the other caveat about this video is the 4070 Ti is actually the 4080 with 12 gigabytes. They're the same same thing. They just so they weren't selling. So remember when they announced the 4090, they announced two versions of the 4080. I think a 16 gigabyte and a 12 gigabyte, and then nobody bought the 4080 with 12 gigabytes. And so now what they've done is they've rebranded it as the 4070 Ti. It's the same card. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right too, David. The, the the benchmarks weren't all that much different from the 3090. I think uh, I think if you're doing the ray tracing, I think it performed a little bit better with the ray tracing um, enabled. But um, but yeah, so I don't know. It's not it. To me, so, and then the other thing, if you watch the, if you listen to the end of the video, he starts talking a lot about the pricing, the value of it, um, and the 3090 Ti's are still really expensive. You know, they're still pushing uh, anywhere from fifteen to, to two thousand dollars, and uh, it's and the 4080s I think were were cheaper than that. You know, in a lot of places. So uh, it was the pricing seems so out of whack on these video cards. It's hard to tell what's what, to be honest with you. But um, but he, yeah. So it was it was a it was a it's a it's an interesting video to watch if you're if you're um, video card shopping, and uh, it will give you a lot of a lot of input as to you know how how crazy this market is right now. I was seeing thirty nineties show up for just a thousand. After the forties, four thousands came out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the prices oh, might pop back up a little bit. That's what he said. He said, you know, when the um, when the crypto stuff crashed and people weren't buying them quite as much for uh, crypto mining and stuff like that, the prices came down a bit. But he's he's saying that he thinks some of the prices have bounced back up on the thirty nineties. All right, Mike, wrap us up with talking about butt kicker settings. Yeah, YouTuber Get Good Racing posted a video um, showing his best settings for the new Butt Kicker Gamer Pro, which is what I just bought. Um, he said that he didn't like the um, what they call Happy Connect software that uh, Butt Kicker provides. I'm still using it, and I think it's okay. Um, he's using SimHub. Um, and what he's done in SimHub is he's actually set up different profiles for the base shakers uh, by car. So he's got one for the F1 car. He's got one for the NASCAR. He's got one for the GT3. And he has the sliders set a little differently for each one. So he's actually gotten every car and, and tweaked it to how he, how he liked it. And he literally shows you all his settings. Um, now, what he does is he... Uh, he has enable LFE turned on in the sim and he's got the slider set there, but he's got several things turned off. He's only got uh, four or five things up and he calls this kind of the baseline. Then he sends that into sim hub and then he does the profile by car. So I haven't thought about doing profile by car. Um, if they could automate it, it might be cool. Um, but otherwise it sounds just like more, you know, stuff to adjust. I try to find, settings that are going to work across all the cars. 
pro and, and I guess the other thing about this video it it taught me is there are profiles in SimHub where you can you know pick different things and call them different things and adjust separately you know pretty cool guess what time it is it's time to jump into some results and it looks like y'all got tired of skipping watkins Glen or got happy that watkins Glen was over anyway and jumped right in when once michigan started up yeah i went to michigan and was excited to get back to normal ovals but it was p21 for me i realized right off the bat this is a can be a one-stop race if i drive the car right from the beginning so I save fuel like crazy because I'm watching my fuel, uh, you know, my third party app. I, I know I can save enough. Um, I want to save enough so I don't have to save a lot in the second run. I want to try to save an extra lap or so in the first run so I can run harder in the second run. So I'm saving like crazy to make it. So I made it. And so I'm dead last by the time there were three or four of us that were in the back of the pack that were really saving fuel and i was one of them and i was dead last basically as we came to the first green flag stop but i was totally shocked that the lead group they made it halfway too i have no idea how they were so fast and i was like pedaling i was 90 percent on the throttle the whole time uh, on the straightaways and totally lifting in the corners and letting it coast you know i was doing all this crazy stuff and and they were way faster than me and somehow they they made it halfway and i didn't i mean i did make it but as well but they made it as well so my whole strategy of going slow is stupid because I don't know. I don't think if I would have went fast with the group, I wouldn't have made it to halfway. So I don't know what they're doing that I'm not doing, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> Sound, sounds like every OBRL race, OBRL race I've ever been in is like how these guys are still going fast and saving fuel. It's amazing. It is. I was, I mean, I was just kind of flabbergasted by the whole thing. Anyway, uh, later, uh, you know there was a caution that came out right after the green flag stop uh later on i got involved in an incident when a guy let off the gas way early into the corner and i actually ran over him several minutes of damage uh yeah it was not good i mean he let off the gas he didn't hit the brake but he and and the car slowed dramatically and i he did it like maybe 10 car lengths before i normally would and i plowed right into him and a little dismayed i was running the fix set and i was in open and i think that was part of my problem too and so i'm probably going to be one and done uh, at michigan after that uh, dismal race moving on to other official now this is my bread and butter the f2000 at olton park qualified p5 out of 14 qualified fifth uh got to got up to p2 by lap one but got ran over from behind in a corner and fell back to fifth i worked my way back up to finish p2 great run qualified six out of ten on the next one finished six then i moved to the big car the indy pro 2000 at olton park qualified fifth finished fourth then skip barber at bathurst qualified six out of 14 got to p4 by the end of lap one and ended up finishing p3 my first podium ever at Bathurst. 
Uh, in the pro, I also ran at Road Atlanta. Uh, qualified 12th out of 19. Spun off on my own twice, but saved the car and still finished P9. Then I switched back down to the F2000 at Road Atlanta. Qualified 9th out of 16. On the first lap, got into it with a guy who was super aggressive. He knocked off my front wing. I had to pit for repairs. I came back out and finished 12th. Then Indy Pro 2000 at Road Atlanta qualified 9th out of 15. I spun off on my own and uh, turned and turn one lap one and destroyed the car i suck david imza the glenn yeah i kicked it off with a a, a wreck on just an unavoidable accident and then the next race this is while i was still on vacation i wrecked just locking the brakes up on my own then had a p6 p5 p3 p4 and this one was kind of funny because i had six uh minutes of optimal damage it was like four seconds off the pace, but still came in P4. Uh, this damage happened because the GT3 car, right on the exit of turn eight, he got just loose enough as I was trying to time it, and I took I took the full exit and was then going to pull right and pass him on the straight, but because he got loose, he wasn't as far down the track, and as a result, I hit him. You know, anytime a car gets loose in the acceleration zone, when when you're on the gas right behind him it's usually bad news but but the dtp field was just so sloppy that it was still a good finish and then this week at euro um or in the euro sprint series i ran a few races at monza as well and those i had a p3 p7 p6 p7 and p4 Le Mans, I popped into one of the first races and I got a P9 in a 3,500 strength of field and was just kind of freaked out at the field because in especially in the LMP class or not LMP but, but the LMDH, they had the they had a 10K driver on the track uh, and then I ran a couple other races after that P8 and P8. Right, posted. I ran 87s at Talladega. They had a cat caution halfway but it wasn't enough for fuel. Uh, I was leading, coming up to the white and ran out of fuel on the backstretch. Uh, then we switched to the Riley Daytona prototypes at Texas, finished P9. Back to the 87th at Talladega. I started 37th, was wrecked out. Then supercars at Michigan, started in the back, got the P3. Man, that's so fun when you get up to the front from the back. And then Pro Mazda at Lanier Dirt was a total shit show i mean no damage turned you know damages turned off and uh i was slow compared to some of the, the guys that were fast and i was in the way a lot and uh yeah it was kind of ugly but i finished the race and then um the other day david uh, you got a group of us to race in a hosted i think it was uh put up by mad racing uh 24 hour practice race yeah, Mad Sim. Uh, that's the guys that I'm teamed up with for the majors, and um, probably run most of my other endurance races with them when when y'all aren't interested in running them. And uh, they, uh, yeah, they hosted one, and it was a really good turnout too. They have a they have a really good community going, um, and there was a field of like 30, 35 cars there. They had the practice open for two hours, and then then ran a forty five minute race, um, and half of the LMP field was us. Yeah, I got P4. I, like you said before, I ran the, the front tire off the first half of the race. I think I told you, David, this thing is so freaking tight push, and you said you're driving it too hard. 
and I took that uh, I, I changed my style of driving after hearing that and I think I, I figured out why I was wearing out the tire for, for the last half of the race um, I was just trying too hard on braking is what was happening and but it's kind of you know uh, backed off a little and I think I figured out the tires but I was able to get around the track without wrecking the car Kyle you were there with us I you went off track once and had to get reset I think I think Kyle had to go he was having technical issues yeah he um, right. he got loose at some point and and, and Greg was there the yeah Greg finished p2 right in front of me I finished p3 I had like finally passed him but he he, he just always uses a little less fuel than me and so he didn't have to take as much and and frog leaped me right on the pit and at that point I actually for the most part he had just a little bit more pace as well um i just when i got by him i really took advantage of a traffic situation all right let's talk winter league at homestead dnf i got loose and overcorrected, and man i hit the wall knocking off the right front i had really good tire run uh, wear the first run but wrecking the car doesn't help that much David P13. Yeah, um, uh, I know Steve and Greg both wrecked out. Um, Steve got involved in, I think, the first caution. I don't remember what took Greg out. Um, so I ended up being the only one to finish. I, I, I know we were, we had a late caution because it ran green for a really long time. And, I, and when the caution came out, I said, Is anyone here? Because I actually ended up having to take a wave around and race the last of the race on old tires. I don't know if. Um, the late caution helped or hurt. I don't know if I would have ended up finishing a little bit better. There were some guys who who I knew were going to have to pit again that managed to get to stay on the lead lap. So that might have cost a couple of spots, maybe. Um, but I, just, I finally didn't make any major mistakes or get caught up in anybody else's. I did check Steve Thompson's replay. He, uh, he actually practiced and had a long run practice and everything. And then he went in there and he uh, got loose actually uh, on his own and, and took out another guy, but had significant damage and and left the room quickly. He was upset with himself, I'm sure. OBRL, Cup, Brian, P23, Kentucky. Yeah, we raced at Kentucky Sunday night in the OBRL. Um, I, um, I, was, I didn't get to practice because uh, my kid needed me for something and uh, he, he uh, he bugged me right up until practice was in and so um but i got into the race and i was going to just start in the back which is which is okay um because of not having any practice so um i, I the um i started getting to the screen where you know where everybody's gridding up and then i noticed i had like the the extra mirror on because i was using a different car and i guess i used in two mirrors so i was i had plenty of time before the green was going to start so i hopped out and you know unchecked it so i just had the one mirror on the side and the virtual mirror up top but it wouldn't let me back in and i had to start from the pits so I, th I thought that as long as you jump back in before the green flags, you know, before the pace car takes off, that you could get back in the race. But either I mistimed it, I don't, which I don't think I did, or, or I wasn't allowed to get back in for whatever reason. So, um, so by that, by the time I got out of the pits, I was already a lap down, and I was just kind of just, you know, just taking it easy, just uh, running around, getting some, using it as uh, some extended practice. Um, after I got some laps in, I had some decent pace, but you know, I was just falling too far behind. I tried to run um, along 
uh, do a long run strategy where everybody was pitting uh, with at lap 50 because it was a 100 lap, 150 lap race. So people were planning on pitting at 50 and 100. So they were pitting at 50, and I, I tried to stretch it out to the very end and see if see if a caution might help me out, but it never really did. So um, I finished B23, which it was uh, still a 37 car field, so it was a big field still. And considering starting to pit, I'll, I'll take a P23. What the heck? All right. Let's jump to final thoughts then. Brian McCubbin. All right. So, yeah, um, looking forward to uh, the Chili Bowls this weekend. So uh, it's always uh, one of the highlights of the race season because it's one of the few few dirt track races that they broadcast um, that uh, that is gets a lot of uh, hoopla and, and a lot of eyes on it. So uh, I, I was telling everybody I was a little disappointed There's because there's some guys who uh, – who typically are in it, the Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, who've, who've, you know, won a lot of these things that I think they've won five out of last four out of the last five years. And they, they decided not to run it this year. So I was a little disappointed that to not have those guys in it, but there's still a lot of, not a good drivers in it. Um, and it's still a real fun, fun race to watch. So if you're not doing anything Saturday, Saturday night, I think it's on Mav TV. I don't think it's on a network. So if you have Mav TV, then you'll be able to check it out. All right, very good. David Hall, final thoughts? Not a whole lot. Uh, back to work, so not nearly as much racing, but still enough to get to get the, through the days. Looking forward to running the 24 and hoping I get a chance to, to close the uh, race out. Uh, all we got to do is stay out of the pits. All right, Greg Hectus, final thoughts? I'm Greg, okay. My final thoughts, uh, the beta UI. I'm going to keep talking about it because guess what? I'm having trouble uh i went to go into michigan at the winter nis uh about five minutes before the race and um i fresh boot on the computer i load my third-party apps first i go to the beta ui i launch halfway through the loading i get loading error 22 please exit the sim and try again so I quickly uh, exit the sim and launch from the website. Again, loading error 22. I'm out of time, oh crap. I reboot the computer and I go straight to the website and I launch and it launches. And again, I think this is caused by launching from the beta UI. I have never had so many problems in my life in all the years I've been with iRacing launching sessions, as I have had since I went cold turkey on the beta UI for launching. I've had to resort to the website to, to get the session up. I think this is the fourth or fifth time now since I've gone cold turkey. If they're really going to get rid of the website in, you know, in March, they need to button this up. I mean, this is just silly. Uh, so after that little rant, uh, I'm having fun with the Indy Pro uh, 2000. I w as you recall, I was really discouraged the first week because I couldn't drive the car. But it's starting to come around to me. Um, and it's been a lot of fun as I get used to it. I'm starting to get a little speed now, uh, getting through the corners quick and that kind of thing. So, hey, with that, we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the Odd Racers Lounge podcast. 
Make sure you go to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.